Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mindful You podcast. My name is Alan Carroll. I am your host. And today we will continue to explore that fascinating field of presence and mindfulness. Today's guest, Denise Michelli describes herself as a body-soul alignment guide. She has a phrase that she uses is, rock your blocks. Whatever are the blocks that stop you mentally, emotionally, physically from experiencing those mindful states of consciousness, the less stress, the less anxiety, states of consciousness she has a coaching program that takes people through a process that reduces and eliminates those blocks and so that flow of energy comes through their body background is a lot of educational worked in the public schools in new york city rose up in the ranks you know teacher director administrator, and now lives in Northern California and earns her living doing consulting in the Rocks Your Block conversation. So please welcome to the Mindful You podcast, Denise Michelli. Denise Michelli, welcome as a guest to the Mindful You podcast. It's exciting to have you here, and I want to thank you for being here today. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. I find that on the mindfulness journey, if I ask the guests questions about their background, so I'd like to start with, you know, we're going back to the time that it's almost as if there were critical events that happened in people's lives that caused a shift in perception that allowed them to wake up in a way they sort of wake up from a an unconscious state to a more conscious state and then they have a new direction so i'd like to start yes. with having you share with us our audience a little bit of your background and and a few of those important key transition points in your in your life journey so go ahead awesome. and Thank take a shot at that one denise so i i have to go back you know really to my childhood because it's when i realized that i was different <laughs> i knew there was something different about me like i just always questioned everything and i felt highly sensitive i think you know really didn't understand it all then, but I found uh, meditation and yoga very young. And, you know, 
it was it, it just drew me in. In fact, I remember I was like 15 or something and I, I asked my mom to come with me to this yoga class, you know, in our our like, you know, 70s leotards and we go to some school gymnasium and and it was the opening for me of realizing that there was another way of seeing life. And so that was kind of the first clue that really stayed with me. And so, I mean, I was in middle school when I first started meditating. I remember getting the the book TM, you know, that was like the big meditation book at the time. And, you know, it was this tiny little book and I read it like in an hour and um, all of my girlfriends used to love having sleepovers because I would literally do a sleep guided meditation. I didn't even know what I was doing, honestly. I just felt drawn to it. I felt like this was my calling. And they would be like, yeah, let's get in our sleeping bags and let's like, let's let D, you know, t- you know, get us all ready to go to sleep. And and so, you know, there was this sort of deep connection that I felt with the spiritual side of life. And I did grow up in a Catholic environment, you know, my family is Italian, uh, you know, at the time we thought 100%, but now we know it's Italian and Greek, but very Catholic. And my parents, you know, had a rocky marriage and got divorced. And and I became very, you know, disillusioned with the Catholic Church because I remember that my mom, we were all in Catholic school at that time. And my mom was told, like, if you can't give so much at the church every week, like, you know, we're sorry, but I mean, literally, that's how crazy it was. And I was like, really, it's all about the money. And so I mean, it was just a terrible experience. But it, but there was something in me that knew, you know, so I remember my sister and I both had the choice, like, do you want to go to, you know, all girls Catholic high school? Or do you want to? And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. And she did that, you know, so we always were very different. But it was, you know, that questioning that uh, sense of, of, you know, really, do I have to go this traditional way? So I really became this person that was going to question everything. And I can remember having these arguments with my mom and she'd be like, because I told you, you know, that whole old uh, uh, way that parents had, it was just like, because I said so, there was no reason. And I was like, there's no logic in that mom. And she was like, logic, (laughs) I'm your mother. (laughs) And so I became the first person in my family to go to college. I actually, by the time I got through a couple of years of of public high school, I was like, I really know this stuff and I'm just bored. And so I, I found out that I could go to college early and I, no one supported me. Like my guidance counselor was like, you're not a shoe in for that. And my mother was like, you want to do what? First of all, why go to college? Second of all, early, like (laughs) you're nuts. And I was just like, well, this friend is going to England to do this and this other friend. And I had inspiring teachers and friends, which I think is what encouraged me to become that for others, like to to be a guide, to be an inspirational force. And so I applied to four colleges on early admission and I got into three out of the four. And I, and I went off and started my adventure at 17. And, you know, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to study. I just knew there was something out there for me that didn't include me being a part of this sort of broken family that was really trying, you know, they were trying to do the best they could, but I sort of became the parent because I felt very empowered. I felt like I had more tools and it was, it was draining me. It was taking away my energy toward my life. And I can even remember, you know, my family being like, really upset with me for leaving 
They're like, you're not supposed to be leaving yet. You, you're, you need to be here for us. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I need to run, you know. And so I went into, you know, that period of my life with such excitement and hope that sure. I could change my life. And so that was like the first big sort of like proving to myself if I allowed myself to think out of the box, if I allowed myself to use these tools that I could become whatever I wanted to be. So, you know, that was kind of the the first inkling of it. And over the years, though, I found myself, you know, as I got up in my 20s, like, you know, I, I thought, oh, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have kids because it was so painful, you know, in my family. And I don't want to repeat that. And I felt that tug in me. You know, I felt that woman thing like you're getting to be 30 and you're not having a kid yet. I really did feel that because my family was very old school, very old fashioned. Like I said, I was the first one to go to college and there was no there were no females in my family that did anything if they had job like a teller or a clerk or a secretary or like my 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 nana she worked in a factory so these were working class people and so for me to want something more than that just didn't you know it didn't set well so i found i i didn't know it then but looking back now i saw that i was really being pulled back by those expectations Sure. to be married to have children even though like i knew there was something more i wanted to do with my life so needless to say i end up getting married and having a child <laughs> and it was wonderful i mean it was a supportive relationship i have a wonderful you know adult daughter now but i got to a point where i i was like i do want something more you know and then it was the struggle of like okay you have to be everything you're going to be the mom you're going to be the career woman you're going to be all that so i went on to become a teacher i had a great career as a chef in my 20s i ended up quitting school early because i i started working in restaurants and i i just knew how to cook it just was in my dna and i loved it and i love making people happy but it eventually got to be an imbalance in my body and exhausting work you know just exhausting work very successful at it but having to walk away from something that and and this has happened to me a few times in my life where you know when you're doing well at something it's actually the best time to walk away if you have the empowered you know decision that you can make that says there's great things about this like if i waited until it was like really oppressive that would have drained me even more but to be able to say i love this and guess what I'll, I'll know how to cook my whole life now and i can cook for pleasure but i'm ready for something more so i went back to college in my early 30s and became an educator and right away became a leader in education of change you know i remember working with teachers who were like making literal dittos like they'd have all of their dittos made for the entire year. And I came in like, no, we're going to make projects and we're going to do cross curricular and hands on. And my kids wanted to come in at lunch because they were so excited to learn. You know, they were just like doing paper bag book reports and having fun learning. And I couldn't stay in the classroom. They were like, we need you to show the other teachers how to do this. And the other teachers were like, oh, my gosh, what does she want me to do? Look at the mess in her classroom, blah, 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 you know. And I had the kids getting jobs. I mean, I was a third grade teacher. I had them, like, applying for jobs, cleaning up the classroom, learning how to use a checkbook, doing all of these things that we don't do in school, like teaching them how to really live, you know. Show up on Monday, you get a paycheck. 
your book bag is in the aisle, you're getting a ticket, <laughs> you know, like just consequences move on and, and, and go on, you know? And so, um, but very quickly I was encouraged to lead other people. And then before I knew it, I was becoming a, a leader and actually went to the district level teaching schools how to be better. And so I became this change agent, like from all of that to, um, you know, like I said, I was like, I started with 16 kids. It was a wonderful first year, but then it was the whole school. Then it was a region. And then we were doing district wide efforts. So I spent 20 years in that, in that career. And once again, came to this point where I said, and I got all these credentials, you know, leadership, uh, master's degrees and, and I was doing really well. And I looked at people, I was rounding up to 20 years who were at 25 and 30, and they were just, they were falling apart. They were miserable. They were exhausted. I mean, we were talking about, you know, coming into the years when school shooting first started, you know, and the things that people were dealing with, you know, I remember being trained by the principal of Columbine and, you know, just psychically taking that on. I think it reconnected me with how sensitive that I that I really was. And I think that um, because I was so, you know, I'm a New Yorker, I'm a native New Yorker, so I have no problem putting questions out there to people. So they would put me literally, I was hired into a position at the district where it was like, give me your worst schools. And I remember the first <laughs> position, I got the 10 worst in the state and my partner got the other 10. And it was like, here, go off and do your thing. And I would have people laughing, crying, you know, you know, walking out of meetings because we were literally at that point where it was like, you either have to change or you have to find something else. And sometimes they would come to me and say, you know what? Thank you, because I need to find something else. You don't want to come to work or a relationship or any situation every day where you're like, I can't stand this. And you're blaming everyone else, right? It was always, it's the parents' fault. It's this, it's that. And so I had to make that choice again and say, this work is crushing me. This work is, you know, I'd be waking up in the middle of the night worried about a certain student, a certain teacher, the really difficult gut-wrenching situations because I worked in a very large district with, you know, a lot of mostly the whole 20 years of my career with the neediest schools and the neediest families and, and um, cities. So um, eventually I I had to walk away. And so that's really the dark night journey that I call what developed was just two years before the pandemic, you know, and a Rumi, I love my favorite Rumi quote is the, the hole is where the light comes in. You know, it was my awakening to say, Remember all that stuff you did way back when? Because of course, during the years, you know, you go to yoga, you do, I did all kinds of yoga, all kinds of meditation from that point on in my life. But you, you know, I got into that, you know, what I call the rushing woman years, which is like you're, you know, 35 to 45, you're just like, I gotta do this, I gotta be the mother, I gotta, you know, run the household, I gotta, you know, and I did eventually end up getting divorced. So I was a single mom, had bought my own home, I was running the show you know, on, on, on. And I got to the point where I just said, this isn't working. You know, my daughter was really unhappy. She wasn't thriving in physically and emotionally. She had a lot of health problems that I was dealing with. And so I, and in my career, I was literally at the point where I was assisting superintendents in making choices about the district and working at the state level to make changes that would 
go down to the kid level. And it was, it was very rewarding for me, yes. but it was also the more that I became innovative, the more that I became a change agent, the more I felt the bureaucrats going, oh, whoa, 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 wait a second. What does this woman think? Who does she think she is? And, you know, there was a part of me that just shone so brightly. You know, I don't know if that's a word, but that that I feel like some of them, like I would walk into, and this is where I started to feel that intuitive hits again, that sense of sensitivity that I would walk into these interviews and they were like the panels, we've got three minutes for each question and, you know, like really structured and I became expert at them. And I would get first interview, second interview, and, but I'd walk in and I'd, I'd just feel the daggers. I would feel the daggers coming at me like, there's nothing I could say in this interview that they're going to receive. Like they just have some sort of block to me. So, you know, when those things happen, there's a reason. There's a lot of reasons. I had nothing but glowing letters. I had, you know, commendations from the superintendent, all this stuff being on committees. And I just said, Dee, there's something here. There's something happening for a reason that maybe you're not supposed to become a superintendent. Because I literally interviewed for like assistant superintendent or director of literacy for the whole entire sixth largest district in the country. And I just had to step back and say, this system doesn't see you or doesn't want to see everything that you have. And so maybe your work needs to morph into something else now. Sure. And boy, that was really hard. That was really, really hard. But I looked at all of it and I was just like, you know, I had always wanted to be able to help people more. And I felt very blocked. And so it's that same thing. It's like when there's a blockage there, there's something going on that's saying, hey, wait a second, there's something else calling your soul, you know, and that's where I started to really listen to my intuition. And I'm not going to say it was pretty because it wasn't. And I had to, you know, say goodbye to my home, which I, you know, had for a very long time and did you know you do all these things in your first home especially owning it myself and all the things i had so much pride in but to be able to look at that and say you know what um i've got to branch out from here so i was literally going to walk away and i found out you know what there's an option for me to early retire and i'm going to take that option and turn it into another business and took me a couple of years to get that all worked out but i sure. finally figured out i can take the seeds of this and create something that really is more in alignment with me. So that was really the biggest transformation I would say in my life because it started to help me to see that all of these expectations outside of me of the path you're supposed to take, of the, you know, the expectations both of, you know, of women in society and what they're supposed to do, family expectations, all of that. You know, I can remember for years, you know, sharing ideas with my family and just getting shot down, shot down. It took me a lot of decades to get over that one, you know, to realize like there's certain people where you, you don't want to bring those ideas to because they don't understand. And so they're just going to be like, what, why, you know, giving you that kind of like puppy, you know, sort of stare with the head turned. So it was during that time that I started to really kind of go deeper with my yoga, my meditation, um, started getting certified in those areas so that I could incorporate that into my coaching. So I started, you know, an individual coaching business. I early retired 
and um, was working with people on health and nutrition because that had been a big awakening, shifting away from being a chef and going into that new career. I said, that's it. I'm going to go healthy. And I did. I, I, on the side of doing all of that, Alan, I became a personal trainer and got into nutrition. And it's been a passion of mine for over 20 years. So I started doing that on the side while I was still actually teaching. But what I, when I went full time with it, it was fantastic. And I started it in LA, which of course is where you start everything, right? If you, especially with health, like everybody's doing some kind of fitness thing there. So um, it was fantastic. And, but then the pandemic hit and suddenly people lost all motivation. You know, people were just like, right. There were day drinking. There were, there was just, you know, I would meet with people and I would do their nutritional analysis and I would give them a plan that, you know, that they felt good about and they'd come back and they started coming back and be like, you gave me a great plan. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just feel blocked. And so I started to realize that I needed to bring in some of those other tools, that there was an issue going on that was deeper than, you know, just having a good plan, right? The best laid plans are nothing without like some kind of motivation and some kind of a, a feel for, um, you know, I can do this. And so as I went deeper into that, I found subconscious healing and I learned so much about how our brains, like it, they're 90% of what we think about is from our subconscious. And so I started really researching it, reading about it. And I found out that like, really our subconscious mind is like a video recorder. It has recorded everything in our lives. And our brain has a way of trying to protect us. So when we, especially when we get in a new situation or we want to change something in our lives, we become like very resistant and we don't often know where it's coming from. You know, I mean, the simplest version when you connect it with nutrition is, you know, sometimes we were shamed when we were a kid, we were called names or we were told to get outside and go exercise and go whatever. But if those things aren't cleared or like at least calmed, then we can become triggered, you know, or we can feel we deserve this treat because maybe there's another part of our life that we're not happy with. So we're kind of like, it's kind of like an addictive behavior, you know, whether it's like shopping or eating or whatever it is, but we become stuck in these, you know, subconscious patterns. And so the method that I use is really helping people identify either an emotion that seems to come up a lot. You know, some people are prone to depression. Some people just get into a sadness. Some people have more of an anxious personality, we call it, right? But these are just echoes and patterns of how they dealt with things in the past. And when they go to do something out of their comfort zone, the first thing that happens is they go, oh, wait a second you know, I don't know that I can do that. You know, they start worrying, you know, and that's where, you know, I always um, say there's anxiety and depression, right? Depression is being sad about what happened in the past and anxiety is worrying about the future. There is both. Oh, go, ends ahead, of the spectrum. go ahead and say that, that one again, that's a nice little golden nugget there. Go slow with that. Yeah. One. So, so I feel like most people fall into one or the other camp. So depression is about being sad about the past. It's about, reworking over and over in your mind, like, why did this happen to me? How could I think of it differently, right? So we go towards a sadness and we get stuck in the past. 
anxiety is more future focused. It's like, I'm worried I'm not going to find someone. I'm worried about this job. I don't know if I can do it. You know, it's so there's that past and future. And where does that take us out of the present moment? So if we're not in the present moment, right, we don't have those tools. And, you know, to go back to my education, like I learned to take that breath work with my kids because I had, you know, always at least 10 to 20 kids who were special and who would get triggered easily because of their trauma. You know, some of them were living in active trauma. Some of them had trauma when they were younger. And so I would teach two breaths and each kid would have to sing, you know, because some kids get triggered into anger. And some kids get triggered into sadness. So I'd give an energizing breath to that kid who got triggered into the low feeling. And the kid who got ready to smack someone, I gave them a calming breath. So, you know, and we literally made a poster right in front of their desk. It's like when you feel that way, look at it, do the three steps. And it would calm them or it would energize them. And so being able to, you know, help people now else that are saying, I don't, I'm not happy with some part of my life the emotion is what we bring up first and we bring it up. So we, you know, I, I work a little bit with conscious, but I don't want to, I don't want to do what people do in therapy, which is go over and over everything. I've been there myself. I don't want to talk about it anymore, but what's important is to bring up the emotion that is most present because if it's most present and it's what you default to when you're in a struggle, then that says there's something deep and dark inside your past. And it may be more than one thing that has dragged you down and that is going to keep surfacing unless you deal with it because our mind really does have a negativity bias. It's trying to protect us. And a lot of this is based on family systems therapy, which says that we have parts of us and some of them are very young parts that are still trying to protect us from maybe a mean grandfather or a, you know, a mean teeth that, you know, just made us kind of like shake when they, you know, were maybe they were just, you know, very nasty in how they talk to us. We've all had those experiences, but sometimes those parts stay active in us. And, and unless we deal with them, unless we neutralize them, and I tell people this, it's not a bad thing to feel those things. We want to protect ourselves, but when they stop us from changing, now we have a problem because some people never realize they have those parts. So part of this work in, you know, it's called family systems therapy is that human beings function much better when all of their parts are working together instead of, you know, I have this happy, uh, mindful part of me that wants to, you know, move to another country or whatever the big goal is. But there's a part of me that's worried about safety. There's a part of me that's worried about what if I, you know, what if this person doesn't understand me or, you know, all of these things, and then we're stuck. And so that's really kind of who I work with is people that feel stuck in some area of their life. Like um, one woman that came to my group sessions was just like she was in a sales job. And and I see COVID as such a turning point for people, just as it was for me. She was just like the quotas and the thing, you know, they're trying to change it because everything's different now. But I just can't every day I wake up stressed. I wake up in the middle of the night stressed trying to make these quotas. Well, in a couple of months of coming to these sessions, which are like a 90 minute healing session where we start with a little conscious, bring the thing up, the emotion, and then we 
use a mindfulness practice to to calm and to relax and then we go into the subconscious healing which is based on neuro-linguistic programming you may have heard of it nlp so it is really talking to your subconscious mind and you train your mind your subconscious mind of how to receive these commands so based on the energy of the group or the person you're working with which i thought in the beginning oh i don't know how i could read the energy of a group I can read the energy of a group. It's amazing. And of course, the more present ones are going to come out first, but the emotion is is brought forward. And then we give some commands to neutralize it, to replace it with space and positive emotion and to just, you know, make it so it's not so triggerable. We talk about association, dissociation, because again, those parts, those younger parts are associating a change or something you're trying to do in your life. They're associating it with something that happened in your past with a negative outcome and boom, you're, you're derailed, you're triggered, whatever you want to call it, right? They call it triggering these days. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, how that process works. So this woman, a couple months later, she came to like two or three sessions. She didn't even come to a lot. But she came back and she said, D, <laughs> I quit that job. I, I was scared. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. But I found a job working for a nonprofit and they're doing this great, they have this great mission and I don't have to meet a sales quota and it's near my house. I mean, so when we make space that way, when we take those parts and we, we thank them, <laughs> thank you so much for protecting me all those years, but I'm good. Like, I really am. I'm not scared of this thing anymore, whatever it was. Sometimes it's an emotion, but it could be a memory like people who've had trauma. It could be a memory of being victimized. And so if that memory comes up every time you think of getting close to someone, hard to have a relationship, right? So I have women like that a lot that unfortunately have issues of trust because that trust was broken as a child. And They've done years and years of, of traditional therapies and they just want something different. And to come into something like this and be able to very quickly have that neutralized down to where they go, you know, and, and a lot of times people will feel a body sensation, but a lot of times it'll just make room for insights to come up and say, wow, I, you know, I can see how that was weighing me down and I just feel this space now. And, you know, and it takes processing time, you know, some people can instantly make the change. Some people need to come back a little bit more repeated. And there's a way also that people that work with me a little bit longer, they can learn how to give themselves commands. So it's not something where you are dependent on the other person, but it's just like, hey, do you see that thought that's coming up? You see that repetitive thought that's coming up and you talk to your subconscious mind and say, hey, just take it down. Help me take it down. And I've used this for, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, right? You've probably heard that when you wake up at like 3 a.m., your stress hormones are overactive, right? Or you ate a bunch of sugar or you had some alcohol, right? There's a physical reason for it too, but you can use it to help you get back to sleep. Say, hey, you know, check these racing thoughts for me, subconscious mind, and just help me neutralize them so I can get more rest. So you really get to be more in charge of your inner world instead of and i was listening to your your most recent podcast where you you were talking about this very thing you know when we become more inner focused we are less reactionary to the world we don't rely on the world changing 
or the, you know, an outside factor outside of ourselves to make our lives better, we start to see that we can create that space for insightful changes in ourselves so that we can do something different, you know, like change the work, change the people we're around. I think the hardest thing that people realize, and particularly this has a lot to do with women, is they get to this middle age and they realize, wow, this is, I'm not happy. And I'm surrounded by people who aren't happy because what do people think in the US, but in a lot of cultures, that aging means degradation of your health period, end of story. And so if you're surrounded by people who believe that, but you don't, which I honestly don't believe it has to be that way, but when you hear nothing but messages about aging that are negative and you're living surrounded by that, it's very hard. So one of the things that can potentially be a side effect of this, and as with any spiritual growth, right, we hear about the spiritual leaders who go off on these things and they go and be alone for a little while. So that is, you know, sometimes a side effect is that when you reorganize your spiritual life, you step back sometimes because you realize that you're spending time and energy in work, relationships, situations, even places that you're living that are not giving you anything back. And so you want to have that good flow of energy back and forth. And so I don't know anybody who can just take on all negative all the time and then shoot out positive, right? We, we need to feed ourselves, especially, you know, in any type of coaching, teaching, healing profession, if you're not getting time for yourself to replenish, to do what you need to do, it's very difficult to feel like, you know, you can keep giving back. So, um, yeah, so I know that was a quite a long way <laughs> answer there, but um, but yeah, so that was my my dark night journey that led me to morph my coaching away from just straight up, you know, body health. Although that is a major part of how I approach things with people, because a lot of times, it, especially with sadness, moving your body immediately changes your energy. You know, so so I'll find that with people who are feeling stuck or sad or depressed over a longer period of time, they are not making that commitment. So we work on what's the resistance to that? Well, let's lower the sadness down, but let's get you to start walking. And that's the thing I'll say, look, just five minutes of walking. When I first started my weight loss journey, I, you know, I'm a very small person, but I was over 200 pounds. And I said, I'm going to start with five minutes. So I asked people this, can you give yourself five minutes? I would go to my, you know, I put my big black t-shirt on and go to my uh, little studio and, and sit on a bike and just pedal for five minutes. And I could gradually add time to that. Finally lost some pounds and went to the gym. And I'm literally half the person that I used to be. And I did that only in a few years, you know, becoming the teacher, making that change and um, elevating myself to a professional career. I said, that's it. I have no excuses anymore. I'm going to make my health a priority. But you start where you are, you know, and I remember during the beginning of when I started doing nutrition and fitness coaching, I'd get these people like, I have to lose 50 pounds by my wedding. And I was like, I'm not your girl. I'm going to help you change your life. But I'm more of a longer term person. I'm going to take you from where you are now. Or they'd be like, can I buy a menu from you? I'm like, no, 
<laughs> I'm going to help you find exactly what is working for you and what's not. And that's where like, I take all the data analysis that I learned and all of the root cause. I developed a root cause analysis process for groups and schools that were failing. And I take that now to the personal level and I say, okay, well, you know, cause I'll get people, you know, women my age who are like, you know, I really do eat healthy. And, you know, my friend said to me, what are you going to learn from a nutrition coach? Well, what's your biggest issue? Well, I have this bloat in my belly and I can't seem to lose a pound. Okay. So, you know, it's hard to admit when we're this age that we don't know everything. <laughs> so, but if you're not getting the result you want, let's scrap everything you've been doing. Let's start from ground zero. I don't have a big vitamin program for you, but let's just start with the basics. What are you eating? How do you sleep? And do you move? And just working with that, you know, everyone's program is going to look different. So I love that. That always comes up, whatever they come to me for. But sometimes what, what like always it's, comes up. It, it, it always comes up that there's something physically that they're doing or not doing that is causing them to also to feel blocked, you know, and just even that five minute commitment of a five minute walk uh, eventually can turn into a 10 to 15 minute walk to eventually, you know, after a meal, if you have time, that's when you take your walk, because then you'll sure. burn off, you know, more sure. energy and stuff like that. And then, you know, eventually getting them to to see how good you can feel from just simple exercise, you know, anything like at all, any type of exercise. So um, it is like, probably the most uh, effective natural form of antidepressant <laughs> that we have anti-anxiety too you know but um yeah so we you know so we focus on the emotions primarily but also the repetitive thoughts or you know and repetitive thoughts turn into beliefs so we may be operating under beliefs that we have from our childhood just like i found myself doing when i was approaching 30. it was like okay I could go get a master's degree now, or I could get married and I could have a kid. Oh, I'll just do all of it, right? Or some people just say, uh, I better get married. Oh, my clock is ticking. I better have a kid now because, you know, otherwise I don't want to have a kid too old. And we do all of that stuff. So, you know, it becomes a, um, you know, a thing to to look at that situation and say, let's, let's take a look at really that. My... Dee, let's take a look yeah. at that, the ability to become self-aware. You've mentioned yeah. face, you've mentioned looking, you've mentioned observation, you've mentioned uh, you get you get hooked by a situation, you get sucked into the story, and you begin to follow the program that was established when you were a kid until you until you are able to become aware that you have the yeah. emotion, become aware Excellent. that you have the thought. Any doesn't make any yes. difference what the thought is. Doesn't make any difference what the emotion right. is. Can you step sure. back? Keep your body right. still. Keep your keep yep. your keep your breath. Get get your breath. Get in the moment and just observe right. what is going right. on physically, mentally. Your thoughts get stirred up. Your body gets stirred up. Not right. Not wrong. Just just observe what's going on. Just and observe. You, and you said the word space several times. And to me, when you can observe something, you have to have a space between you and that which is being observed. And space to me is the, 
And I think you agree. I mean, everything you're saying makes sense to me. Space is like the buffer that that trans that that's that that stops the reactive behavior and then allows you to have a responding behavior, which is much more healthy for mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You really have a wonderful uh, 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 story. And you have used the events in the in the story of Dee's life in order to marinate something, marinate something inside yourself, some spiritual aspect of ourself, some spiritual component of ourself. And now you've reached a point where you're able to take all the knowledge that you've learned in the past and formulate a a way of being with people that allows them, if I have it right, that allows them to remove the blocks and barriers that's stopping them from achieving that mindful state of consciousness. And it's not making more money. It's not the happiness thing. It's just getting into a mindful state of consciousness where everything is still rather than... Yes. Is that... Am I close yes. to what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, you you put it really nicely into a nutshell. It. It is. It feels like the culmination. It feels like what I'm supposed to be doing now, which yep. is, you know, why I'm moving more towards working with groups, because I feel like, wow, if you yep. think about where the world is right now, you, bet. you know, there's, there's this extremes where everybody's going to one side or the other. There's a victim mentality that's rampant. There's a uh, sense of, you know, either extreme powerfulness or extreme powerlessness. It's like we're going... You know, so there has to be what's in the middle, which is becoming more inner focused and in less reactionary. You know, this is a time where if you don't have that tool, you're going to get swept up in that and, you know, lose yourself in it. And if we can lose ourselves in a belief that we gained from childhood, then, you know, we can certainly get lost in these bigger energies, which are given so much airtime right now, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, I teach people like, what are you putting in? It's not just about the food you eat or what you drink or what you consume, but it's like, how many screens are you looking at all day? And what are you playing? You know, if you, and I don't say that people should not know what's going on, but at the same time, if you're trying to manifest a happier life, a more abundant life, love, whatever it is you're trying to do, if all you're doing is getting into the details of what's not working in life, you're blocking your energy from elevating, you know, from rising, whatever the belief system that you have, you know, uh, divine source or, you know, God or whatever the belief system is, you're blocked from that if you can't you know, um, if you give that energy away, you know, uh, I heard somebody talking about that when the term paying attention, you're paying a price for that. And so, you know, and, and I, you know, I was very, I was like a little hippie when I was a kid and I was very active politically. And so it is very hard for me to not look at that stuff. But I know that I, if I want to be in an elevated state, that's certainly not something I'm going to do before I go and work with a client or go and work with a group. I need to take care of my spiritual health as a result of living this life. I want to be the example and show you, you can live in this kind of state, but not if you are, you know, binge watching Netflix or you're binge watching, you know, YouTube politics and all these channels. Like it is, it is happening. Things are deconstructing. You know, it's further evidence that 
things are changing and we need different tools, you know? So that's why I feel like, yeah, this is, you really kind of put it all together in a nutshell. This feels like what I'm supposed to do. And I'm feeling a little bit like a book is coming. You know, I, I've never written a book, sure. but sure. I've, written, I've written other documents that have been, you know, are now you being bet. used in different systems. And I'm just like, you know, and I do write. So another thing that I do to try to put my healing energy out there is I have a inspiring guidance YouTube channel. I have, uh, I write for Medium. I started writing articles and I write at least one article a week, mostly about life lessons, um, personal growth in those topics. I find a lot about a lot of what comes up, especially with women who primarily my clients are women, but sometimes I get men is, um, you know, how to have boundaries. Because when you start to identify what doesn't work in your life, a lot of times people find they have zero boundaries. And that's part of why they're not happy because they're absorbing everyone. You know, they're trying to take care of everyone first. And it feels like, so scary to them to even think of drawing a boundary, you know, like when we talk about this person, we don't agree. So let's just not talk about this person. And anytime you bring up that person, I'm going to say, I have to go now. It's just a boundary, right? Because right. How many of us have dealt with that kind of situation within our families, within friendships where people are, they're just massively disagreeing, but you know what? I value you enough and I value myself enough to say, um, let's draw the line here because I really would like to keep this friendship. And sometimes if people can't do that, it's okay to let that go because you're valuing yourself. And so, you know, so I write articles about little pieces of this to kind of help and guide people. And then and where, and where are the articles pieces. published? They're published on Medium. So when you go to my website, um, it, you know, if people are interested, if they go to Rock Your Blocks, my website, and you sign up, then you would get into my email. And then I put out every time I put out a YouTube video. So I do YouTube video guided meditations. Um, and then I write articles on medium. And yeah, and I, I have been using this thing called insight timer, which is a wonderful, um, you know, meditation app. So I was like, you know, I'm already making these videos. So I've been posting audios on there of my short meditations that people can use for you know just calming soothing the nervous system just mostly you know 10 15 minutes of uh just some guidance some inspiration and yeah so so i feel like you know i'm just filled with this energy that i want to promote and share this really you know neuroscience backed method it's really amazing like they've done these the qegs of the brain and you can see a difference in the brain before and after these subconscious healings are done. So um, it's fantastic. I mean, people have come to us with things that are longstanding, like PTSD from childhood abuse to fear of heights. These are all parts of us that got programmed and they just need to be released. They need to be told it's thank you for all the protection, but you don't need to protect me anymore. And I can, you know, I can, you can stay with me, but you got to get in the back seat. I tell people you're not in the driver's seat anymore. You know, thank you. Thank you. Hugs. But I got this. Got it. <laughs> so. I like the, I, I like the, the rock your blocks concept. I remember a training I did with uh, Werner Earhart, and the S training back in the 70s, 
And he was talking about people are sometimes resisted to break down. Things are breaking down. Things are breaking. Oh, I don't want things breaking down. No, 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 no. And, yes, and he reframed it. And he and he said, uh, uh, after breakdown comes breakthrough. And so rather than resist what's happening in the moment as something terrible, uh, look at it as this has to happen in order for you to go to there. And so you can you can look at your story as almost breakdown after breakdown after breakdown, breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And now we're culminating with a with a with a cornucopia of energy manifesting itself in groups and writing and reading and books and all this energy that you are a gift. Now you are a teacher. You are a you need a microphone in order to spread it out into the world kind of stuff. And that's that's a that's 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 an acknowledgement of of the work you've done and the psychological suffering that you've had to trump in order to 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 win that that state of of mindfulness and that state of presence. And absolutely, uh, the idea is that there's a lot of things that when you put your five senses out into the world will stimulate you. Um, and unless you take that 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 consciousness and put it in the body which in the buddhist tradition they call it embodiment rather than yes. this disembodiment with all the thoughts going on inside you about the past the present the future you go into your body your body is very very still and boy yes. you you are allowing people a pathway in order to resolve the blocks with a foundation of stillness because you you you, you got to do the meditation. You got to close your eyes. You you can't be watching the Netflix twenty four seven. Can't be watching the politics twenty four seven. You can't be what you can't. You got to be stopping all that, which which to me is a which is in in my business. It's a it is a letting go of the egoic structures, the identity yes. that you've identified yourself as being, and the realization that I'm that I have those, but I'm not those. Uh, I'm the space that yeah. contains it. And you mentioned space several times, and I'd like to just uh, share with you one of the definitions of love that I found rocked rocked my blocks uh, was <laughs> was that love is the ability to give something the space to be the way it is mm. and yes. the way it isn't. So you got to give yourself the space to be the way you are or the way you're not. You got to give other people the space to be the way they are. They're not. And this idea of space creates the whole that you talked about. And the whole allows the light to come in. And the light is a divine light of the spirit to call it whatever you want to call it. The light of mindfulness, the light of the, the infinite light of nothingness that illuminates the darkness uh, that allows you to heal the, the suffering that is caused by the by the 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 media the 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 programming from your parents who, who just did the best they could with the resources they had that's a tony robbins quote exactly. which i love people do the best they can with the resources they have it's like well that's that's a lot of compassion in that one i like that so you've mentioned many many things and i know people listening to you say wow and she's somebody i'd like <laughs> to follow so we'll we'll put all your your information in, into the into the notes so people can contact you because you sound like you're like a candy store with lots of lots of <laughs> sweet candy uh, that a lot of people on, on the journey 
who have have that suffering would like a little piece of that candy in order to reduce the suffering. And you sound like a a a, a candy vendor who has lots of great candy that's going to not sugar. I know you're I know the sugar's an issue. Not sugar. But, uh, no. <laughs> but, uh, it's the the idea is something for pleasure. So I want to. I, I want to just give you a chance to complete. I also want to thank you for what you have said and and who you are, for what you have created in the world, and and what you have created for other people in order to reduce the suffering and the blocks and the barriers that that uh, cause them to uh, be running through life with an anchor, uh, pulling and pulling an anchor all the time, and you release the anchor and allow them to float in my mind, like a hot air balloon into the sky. It's just, uh, it's wonderful to be able to talk with you. What would you like to say to complete and, and to and to complete our, our podcast? I would just say that, you know, I think that's the biggest, um, the biggest key is space. You know, you said that I mentioned that several times, but to, to experience this kind of healing just even once. You bet. Creates enough space for shifts to begin to happen. So I just want as many people as possible to experience it at least once. Most people can't turn away after that. For me, I the first time I experienced it, I did it every day for about six weeks. And at that sixth week, I said, I need to become a certified teacher of this. <laughs> I just can't keep doing it and keeping it to myself. It doesn't feel right. And, and the biggest benefit of that, like you have stated, is it just allows you to see possibility and you know trust yourself not fear the change but be able to look at that space and say oh my gosh all those things that have been on my list right travel painting whatever it is i get to do those I get to do those now because I've taken something away that was really not right for me anyway. So it just is really the key to transformation. So I, I'm I'm so you know blessed to to have come here. I feel like your um, your energy really brought out the best of my my weaving the story. So I really appreciate that, and I I hope that uh, listeners will gain something from this and reach out to me and um, become part of, of some of my healing groups. Wonderful. Well, you are a, a rich a rich source of, of wisdom that inspires other people. So you're an inspiration, and I want to thank you very much uh, for, for inspiring our audience on the Mindful You podcast. So thank you, Dee. Thanks, Alan. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. And please catch us on the next great episode of the Mindful You podcast. And please share us with your friends and fellow travelers on the path.